Hello everybody, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And this is another episode of Criminally Disturbed. And we are back this week with another case from Jamie. Yes, and before we get started with this one, I have a correction. Uh-oh, did you mess up? I did. Okay. In the Sinadu Tedessa episode, which I didn't go back and listen to it until it was released, so I listened to it at the same time as everybody else. Mm-hmm. In it, I said that Trang's family ended up in Dorchester, Maine. Yeah. That is not correct. It's Dorchester, Massachusetts. Well. And I heard, when I heard myself say in Maine, I was like, oh, you idiot. (laughs) So, yeah, that was embarrassing. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we make mistakes. Um, We want to set the record straight for sure. So, those that may have realize that please don't shoot us (laughs) yeah please don't yeah but uh yeah some like i said sometimes we make mistakes and we just we're gonna do the best we can to correct them so we released another bonus episode yes it was a good one well it was um i i had fun doing that one there was actually a lot of short stories in that one and some really good ones yeah not all of them were actually funny no um they had some characteristics that were jovial i guess yeah but i think you had the biggest idiot ever yeah that you've ever discussed in the that episode idiot of the episode yeah of all the episodes you've done the biggest <laughs> one was in that episode yeah uh, again those are for patreon subscribers one of the benefits of becoming a patreon subscriber is full access to those bonus episodes and right. 24 hour early access to the regular episodes which is this episode Mm -hmm. a a regular episode so uh, those that are subscribed will have a 24-hour heads up yes and access to this episode so definitely appreciate the subscribers that we have so far and it is growing people yes thank you yes thank you everyone i just want to point out look we're not in this to get rich to quit our day jobs or right. whatever yeah but the patreon does help us out because obviously we've said we need a new soundboard we need to upgrade but we also pay subscriptions like to newspapers.com yep i have a subscription to scribed which is a book club mm-hmm. i have a subscription to texas monthly mm-hmm. um, which will be featured in this episode so and there's other subscriptions we pay for because when we do our research we diligently do our research right and there's other websites uh, like she was saying that uh, like news websites yes um, different local cities and and things that uh, you go onto their website to read their news or something you have to subscribe to some of those uh, Washington Post yes um, you know places like that you, you know you have limited access and you have to have a subscription or you can just pay for so many articles correct which is still it costs money right and again we also are looking to expand our mixing board. Yeah. Uh, we do have an older mixing board that only has two mics that are uh, two mic jacks that are available. Uh, we would like to have another one, uh, another mic jack, uh, so we can bring in others to uh, to share this experience with. Right, because I still would love for our oldest 
But she's coming for Halloween. Yep, she is. And we need to get an episode ready for her or something, you know, more specific to her taste. Halloween would be a good one. Yeah, and then, of course, our 19-year-old, he's been on an episode with us. Yep. And we also have a soon-to-be 21-year-old, but I don't know. He's an asshole, so he might not be on one with us. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. And I say that out of love because I'm his mother. Well, yeah, so that is where that subscription money is going to be going to. Uh, We definitely are speaking the truth when we say that we definitely are speaking the truth when we say that it's going right, that the money is going right back to the podcast. We want to better this for our listeners. We do have several uh, listeners that are subscribed on multiple platforms and our Facebook and our Instagram and our TikTok, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Every one of you. For continuing to listen and be loyal and uh, help us share the word of Criminally Disturbed. Do so by sharing those posts on Facebook and Instagram and all of those platforms. Uh, Those that are not, go ahead and subscribe and like and follow us on those platforms. Uh, Our email address is cdisturbedpodcast at gmail.com, so please reach out to us. We are definitely putting together a uh, listener's account episode so we want to hear from you guys and And it can be about anything paranormal somebody broke into your house sure something happened to a relative anything right and when you send those stories in make sure and let us know if we are able to say your name yeah or if you don't want your name said you can easily just change your name in your story right yeah so to something you pick out or you can let me pick out your name all right with all that said let's get into this week's case i have something different well we always like different there is no murder oh shit yeah so you know how we always when we talk about we support police officers yeah and then we make the comment oh well there's bad people in every profession yeah i found somebody in my profession Okay, so I guess for those of you that haven't gone back and listened to some of our early episodes where we kind of introduce everyone to us, why don't we fill everybody in on what you and I do? Okay, you can go first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm a ditch digger. He is not a ditch digger, and I think he said that in one of the first episodes. I did. Uh, so actually both of us are uh, we work in the construction industry that's how we met that is, that is how we met um, I have been in this industry now for almost going on almost 30 years uh, started in the early to mid 90s in the construction industry as a laborer worked my way up went to college and then uh, received a bachelor's degree in construction management and now I'm a project manager in the construction field my wife however is in the office Mm -hmm. she has a degree in accounting Mm -hmm. and she is for her company she is pretty much one third or half of the accounting department a third a third because there's three of us there's which my part i do payroll i do 
part of the accounts payable mm-hmm. and also um i guess part-time human resources sure and i'm also our insurance coordinator so both of us are in the construction industry i build and she pays the bills yeah that's a little brief description on what we do so you found someone in our industry no not our industry in your industry in your profession in my profession oh i i I miss my I misunderstood. Uh, I thought you meant the construction industry. No. The accounting industry. In the accounting profession. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Okay. Sources for this week. One is from Texas Monthly. The article was named Just Desserts by Katie Vine. And, of course, newspapers.com. And a nifty little, uh, I say little bakery. It's actually bigger than I thought it was, the Collins Street Bakery. They have a website, collinsstreet.com, and they had this story referenced on there. Wait a minute. Is this the one that's on 20? Yeah, there's actually five of them. Okay. Yeah, we do see the signs when we pass through headed toward Dallas. Oh, wow. They do have one in Lindale. Lindale, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. All right. That's crazy. Okay. All right. This story is about Sandy Jenkins. All right. So picture it. Corsicana, 1896. (laughs) Okay, Sophia. (laughs) She was the best. Okay. It's 1896 in Corsicana, Texas. Augustus Gus, we're going to call him Gus, Weedman traveled there from Germany. He had the dream of opening a bakery. Gus, in his bakery, his ambition was to share his authentic homemade breads and cakes. So shortly after he settled in town, he purchased a storefront, and that is how the Collins Street Bakery was born. And this is in Corsicana? Yeah. I know exactly where that's at. That's a <laughs> suburb of Dallas. At first, the business was not... A success. Uh, Gus was not a natural businessman. He was shy and he was introverted. Same. Yeah. So in 1900, he was introduced to a local entrepreneur named Thomas McElwee, and they formed a partnership. Mm-hmm. Thomas would take care of the bakery's front end business. Like he would be the face of the bakery. So he's like the person stuffing the bags with the bread and taking the money Uh uh-huh and gus was in the kitchen which is where he liked to be anyways okay so when that happened as introverts do yeah business began to boom in the early 1900s the bakery was best known for its freshly baked bread that was delivered directly to homes and businesses with the assistance of horse-drawn carriages so we're going to 1906. The bakery is thriving. Gus is actually struggling to keep up with the demand. So Thomas decided, hey, let's expand our business. Okay. So they bought a second location, still in Corsicana, and it was a two-story building. They decided that the bakery would be located on the bottom floor, mm-hmm. and the top floor was modified into individual rooms and began operating as a luxury hotel. And the reason for this is because Corsicana was a booming oil town Mm -hmm. at the time. Okay. And so Thomas had been observing 
the comings and goings of the town's visitors. Mm-hmm. And he would watch as travelers arrived on one train, stay the night, and then they would depart the next morning. So he's like, there's money in that. Right. So that's what they did. They started renting out rooms. So in just a matter of weeks after opening, the second business location was booming. They had a continuous flow of new customers that would visit the hotel and the bakery. Wow. And since the bakery's hotel was one of the more lavish accommodations in the area, Mm -hmm. they had opera singers, actors, Major League Baseball players, professional boxers. That's the type of people that were staying there. With a bakery in the place. Yes, with the bakery on the bottom floor. The bakery went from a local bakery to a globally recognized mail-order business. Okay. And how did they do this? It was by accident. All right. So most of the patrons would purchase the treats and cakes as gifts before they left town. And one thing about the fruitcake, which I don't think I've ever had fruitcake. Oh, it's nasty. Okay. I mean, my opinion is is that it's nasty. I don't really like fruitcakes. By now, their biggest seller had become fruitcake, which they're still known for their fruitcakes. So, little thing about fruitcakes is they have more salt than a regular, you know, everyday chocolate cake, you know. A chocolate cake, what, has it like a pinch of salt? I don't know. Okay. I only use box mixes. Okay. All that's already in there. So, salt acts as a natural preservative, so fruitcakes practically never go bad. They require no refrigeration. These cakes could be shipped to people out of town without, you know, having to worry about it going bad before it gets there. Okay. One of the biggest customers was the Ringling Brothers Circus Troupe, because they regularly traveled through town, and they would start ordering the fruitcakes for Christmas presents. That, okay, that's where you got the National Lampoon's Vacation. That's the, uh, what's her what's her name? Aunt Edna? Yes. You're the one that gave me the fruitcake for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hate fruitcake. Yeah, it was like, it made me so sick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually going to play a part here in a little bit. The uh, vacation movie? No, oh, no. Okay. But. Something along the lines of that. So, guests, travelers, and celebrities had all been sharing their cakes with friends and family. And their friends and family were like, I want my own damn cake. Soon, letters became pouring in with requests for Collins Street to mail fruit cakes to locations all across the nation. Okay. So, Thomas and Gus didn't want to disappoint anybody, so they began boxing up cakes and mailing them out, which started one of the country's first mail-order food businesses. In 1946, Lee McNutt and two partners bought the business. In 1967, Lee and his son Bill would take over the company. Bill constructed an entire factory to make the fruitcakes. He invested in a computerized mail order system that would allow them to reach people in 196 countries. Damn. I know. Their deluxe fruitcakes became a Christmas staple, boosted town pride, and made the McNuts rich. That's a lot of mint, mint, mint. It's a lot of McNuts. Yeah. By the time Bill's son Bob took over in 1998, fruitcakes had suffered some cultural denigration in the 80s, which is where yeah. the 
and Edna comes in and Edna and other people. Bob decided to expand the Collins Street Bakery, opening storefronts in Waco, Lindale, and Greenville. Now, we're on to the reason this story happened. Sandy Jenkins was born on February 21st of 1949. He grew up in Wortham, Texas. He was the only child of doting parents who ran Jenkins Grocery. He would work in the store after school and on weekends. He stocked the shelves and swept the floors. A former classmate said he was quiet and he was not one of the more popular guys in school. He had a taste for finer things in life and that came from his mother. Okay. He once said that my dad said if they sold poop in a bag at Neiman's, I'm assuming he's meaning Neiman Marcus, Sure. she would buy it. Just because it came from Neiman Marcus? Yeah. Okay. So, around 12, Sandy started collecting watches. He would buy them used off of family and friends. His aunt bought him a diamond ring in high school because she knew he would love it. He was voted most fashionable in high school three years in a row. Wow. So, when he got older, his parents wanted him to be a doctor, but all he wanted to be was a funeral home director. Sandy coveted the sharp outfits, the rich backdrop, the immaculate black cars, the eloquence, and the reverent tones. Wow. His cousin's stepfather owned a funeral home in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So when Sandy got to visit them, he admired the lavish interiors. (laughs) When Sandy told his father that he wanted to be a funeral home director, his dad was like, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) And Sandy said he figured that his dad thought it was because he was too shy, which I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Because, I mean, you have to be outgoing to be a funeral home director. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to to approach people in different ways and things. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, in 1973, Sandy graduated from Dallas Baptist University with a degree in business administration. Okay. And by the time he graduated from college, he was married. A family friend had told him about her niece, Kay, who was a dental hygiene student who also attended Dallas Baptist and occasionally needed a ride to campus. Okay. She was from San Antonio, so the first time Sandy picked her up at her aunt's house, he could not believe his luck. She had long brown hair, pretty brown eyes, and an enormous personality. How enormous was it? It was so enormous it barely fit in the car. Oh my goodness. By 1971, he persuaded her to marry him, and he figured that she agreed because she must have liked quiet guys. So, when they both graduated from college, they lived in Fairfield. Sandy got a job as an accounting clerk at the utility company, but they were very familiar with the Corsicana area, so I'm fixing to describe it to you. Its historic red brick downtown is one of the most beautiful in the area. Corsicana's wealth dates to the late 1800s when oil was discovered there, creating by 1953 the highest per capita income of any Texas city. Wow. On the wealthy side of town, locals refer to some estates by name. There's Mariposa, Versailles, like they name their houses. Okay. And homes are decorated with antiques from family members that have since died. 
Here, nobody wonders where a rich person's money came from because they know that it came from oil, cattle, or natural gas. Most of the wealthy families in town have been established for decades. So, the Jenkinses moved to Corsicana in 1988. Okay. The Jenkinses weren't rich, but they did have refined taste. They lived in a fine neighborhood with wide streets. They bought a two-story historic home with a wraparound porch and white Greek columns. Sandy liked to play the piano that he had bought from a relative. Kay liked to cook gourmet concoctions, something that she likely picked up from their daughter, Allison, who was studying the culinary arts. She's trying to be Gordon Ramsay. Trying to be. People driving by would take note of Kay's gardens. They'd won Corsicana Yard of the month multiple times nice people there noticed right away that sandy and Kay were opposites one person said that he was introverted and she was outgoing which we kind of already picked up on that yeah another person said she's great big and he's itty bitty whoa some people observed that she ordered him around people around town so they just couldn't get him talking at a party well i mean he's the introvert so and she's the extrovert right another person said and i want to point out a lot of people did not share their names like it was said in the article these it was like a side note that these people loved to gossip but they didn't want their names known (laughs) okay (laughs) so you can kind of see what we're dealing with here right another person said his wife was a hoot and a holler but he had zero personality. Another person described him as having droopy eyes, a weak chin, and the personality of an aged basset hound. What? Uh-huh. These people are assholes. No shit. They joined the choir at First Baptist Church, where Sandy became a deacon, and Kay worked in food services. Kay would eventually start a catering business on the side. So, their life was pretty comfortable for a while, but Sandy's job was eliminated in 1995, and he got depressed. In 1998, he was diagnosed with manic depression, and he was put on medication. Okay. So, while he was out of work, he would help Kay with her catering business. He was a sub at the junior high, and he spent more time at church helping them. Okay. Finally, in 1998, he was hired by the Collins Street Bakery as an accounts payable and payroll supervisor. He would be making 25000 a year. Good for him. Yeah. So, when he was first hired, he spent 1000 of the bakery's money on an antique desk reproduction and moved it into his office. Okay, that, that's already a red flag. I, yeah, like, what? I mean, why? It sounds to me like... Obviously, he's bougie. He has bougie taste, but he don't have the bougie money. I didn't get that vibe from him, though, being an introvert. Yeah, but he collects watches, and he was voted best dressed. and You know, you typically wouldn't see those characteristics in an introvert. That's kind of like best dressed or most fashionable. That would be more of an extrovert thing, I would think. I I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, because all it is is like clothing and jewelry and stuff. Well. It's just what you're wearing. Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. When Sandy first started at the bakery, he worked for Bill McNutt. And Sandy thought that Bill was a brilliant businessman. Bob McNutt took over the bakery later on in 1998. Bob had traveled the world. 
He could entertain employees with stories about Costa Rica, where the company had planted its own crops to better control the quality of the papayas and pineapples that make the fruitcakes so special. <laughs> so they have their own farm in Costa Rica. For these fruitcakes? For the fruitcakes. Okay. Bob was wealthy, but he didn't flaunt it. Sandy didn't know him too well, even though they worked near each other and attended the same church. They only had like a few interactions with each other. Mm -hmm. But Sandy admired Bob from a distance. Okay. Like, I guess Bob had what he wanted. Bob was who he wanted to be. Right. So, people were always polite to Sandy, but they never really warmed up to him despite his attempts. He would remember important anniversaries. He would wish people happy birthday, and he was quick to compliment haircuts and new outfits. Mm -hmm. Colleagues who stopped by his office, however, weren't there to chit-chat. They just wanted payroll reports, daily sales reports, and reports on how many pounds of pineapple and pecans they'd purchased. (laughs) And had flown from Costa Rica. Right. Uh Sandy helped the bakery transition from a manual accounting system to a computerized one by 2000, and he had been promoted to corporate controller. Scott Holloman was Sandy's immediate supervisor in the accounting department. Scott was like a brother. He was also a fellow member of the First Baptist who enjoyed Sandy's company and was pleased with the job that Sandy was doing. Okay. Kay would occasionally grumble about the bakery, telling Sandy and Scott that Bob wasn't paying them enough. And Sandy had proved himself to be a reliable employee, though he only made $50,000 a year. Right now, we're in 2004. Sandy is, he has a Lexus right now, but he wants an upgraded Lexus. So he's having to save money. Yeah. So 2004, Sandy's been there for six years. It's December. And he's beginning to wonder if there's a quicker way to afford that Lexus. So he's in his office. He's looking at his computer screen. And from the way I understood it, their checks were done by computer. He could, like, type in on the computer, like, the pay to the amounts and stuff. And the signature for the checks was saved in the computer, which was Bob's signature. So he So like a digital stamp. Yes. Okay. And when the checks were cut and mailed out, Bob did not go back over the checks to see what was being mailed out. So no quality control there? No. Wow. Okay. So, of course, Sandy's like, you know, I deserve better. I shouldn't have to be saving to get me an upgraded Lexus. (laughs) And he's also like, you know, I want to be more indulgent at the Corsicana Country Club. We also want to be members, him and Kay want to be members of the exclusive supper club scene. And I was like, what the hell's a supper club? Do you know what that is? No, I'm not bougie. Okay, well, I got a definition. Okay. Supper clubs. Members take turns hosting. The host will select and prepare the entree and the others provide sides and desserts. The menu is orchestrated around a chosen theme. Another person said everybody in town belongs to a supper club. There are three or four of them, and each one has 50 to 60 people in it. These clubs go back generations, and these days most of them are so crowded that a couple has to wait until another couple leaves before they can be invited in. 
I think I would rather be a member of the Breakfast Club. That would be cool. Yeah. And also, Sandy's like, hey, he could join the more discerning book club known as the Quintilian. Okay. This was one of the oldest book clubs in Corsicana. Again, I... This is bougie shit. This is not something that is a, is appealing to me. Bitch, go to the library. Right. Okay, anyways. So, the Jenkinses, they had done well for themselves. Sandy had a good job. They had raised their daughter, and they were contributing members of the community. But these accomplishments mattered little to some in town. The Jenkinses were not considered high rollers. They were the folks who made the food down at the church. <laughs> they would always have trouble gaining acceptance into the upper echelon of Corsicana society. One woman said, we're mean and gossipy here. Whoa. Well, at least she admitted it. Yeah. Some women noted that Kay didn't have the right name brand sandals. She would wear yellow box flip-flops even in the winter. Which I got some yellow box flip-flops. And this is Texas. This is Texas. Which I see why she would wear flip-flops in the winter. It I is. Mean, it's Texas. Yeah. I mean, come on. But they're yellow box flip-flops. I don't know what that means, but okay. Which I got some. So, And another lady said... And she wore those sacks, which I'm assuming maybe was just one of them straight dresses or whatever. Oh, I thought it meant like Saks Fifth Avenue type shit. No. Another lady said she never had a tummy tuck, a boob job, or new clothes. She had on those mama clothes. So they're going to discriminate against her because she hasn't had surgery? Mm-hmm. Implants and tummy tucks. Uh-huh. And what year is this? 2004. That's a whole nother level of bougie, of, of discrimination. This is just asshole. Yeah, this is, yeah. So Sandy's thinking, you know, I really feel like I'm working the equivalent of three jobs here at the bakery. And I'm not really being compensated for all of it. So I'm going to start compensating myself. He decided to dip into the bakery's petty cash. And it wasn't much money. I never said how much he got that first time. But it did keep him on edge the first time he done it. Every time someone stepped in his office, he was, like, waiting for them to be like, hey, what happened to this money? Mm -hmm. But no one ever called him. So he's like, oh. So, of course, he's, I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to go bigger. Escalating. Yeah. So a few weeks later, he drove up to the Dallas dealership and bought a gold Lexus sedan with tan leather interior. Again, I mean, we're talking the red flags are start are starting to show. Yeah. This wasn't a huge leap because the Lexus he bought was used and he traded in his old Lexus as a down payment. Okay. Well, that's not so bad. But he still was not going to be able to afford the monthly payments. So he had a plan. Is he still making the 25K, roughly? No, he's making 50 now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he go back, he's going back and he's thinking about their accounting software and how he can do checks and stuff. That night when Kay gets home from church and she sees this car, she's like, where'd that come from? And he's like, oh, that was a gift from the Fishers, which I guess is another family in town. Um, and he had been helping them with their accounting needs. First of all, if I'm going to help somebody with their accounting needs and they want to give me a Lexus, okay, where you at? Sign me up. Well, I mean, 
we're going to give you this Lexus, but we, we need you to trade your old Lexus in. Yeah. I mean, come oh, on oh, now. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, come on. So by January 25th, when his credit card payment was due, he was ready to follow through with his plan. He typed a $20,000 check payable to City Card, which I guess this is how the City Card was how he paid his notes for his new Lexus. So this is his personal card, not a business card. No, okay. this is personal. All right. The software automatically signed the check Bob McNutt. Wow. Sandy printed that check, and I was when I was reading this, I was like, okay, so how's this going to work? But I'm going to tell you. He printed the check, voided it in the system, but he mailed it. Then to cover his tracks, he typed the next check payable to a legitimate bakery vendor, for the same amount, but didn't mail that one. Okay, so something's not getting paid. Mm-hmm. All right. So, which brings me to my next thing. Obviously, because, you know, banks send out bank statements yeah. monthly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they weren't reconciling their statements every month, or else this would have been noticed. Well, and I was going to say, I mean, obviously, you would have to provide insight as to how this can even happen. Because I don't, I don't know the inner workings of how companies flush their banking and stuff like that. You unless um, it didn't go into detail about their bank statements and stuff, unless Sandy was the one that got the bank statements every month, he would still be able to clear the checks in the system. Basically, comparing yes. what's on the statement versus mm-hmm. what was actually written yeah. and or and or charged right. and stuff. Okay, yeah. so which kind of leads me to believe that he must have been the one reconciling the must have been bank statements yep or else that would have jumped out to somebody else like you would think yeah yeah once sandy was sure that nobody had noticed the first fraudulent check he tried it again and again and again oh shit before long he and Kay were spending up to ninety eight thousand a month on their credit card which sandy then paid with the collins street bakery checks they remodeled their kitchen with a Viking range. Oh. Yeah. They had cooling and warming drawers, granite countertops. They began hosting elaborate dinner parties where they served $100 bottles of wine and, Dumb. and steak. They joined multiple supper clubs. They would host champagne brunches and dinners. They installed a wine cellar under their staircase outfitted with two refrigerator-sized storage units. Wow. And Sandy, when he went to the Corsicana Country Club, would bring his own bottle of wine because the wines at the country club were no longer to his liking. That is ridiculous. At work, Sandy told people that had began admiring his clothes and outfits that he bought them at Walmart. Really? He was actually wearing Armani shirts and Gucci shoes. From from Walmart. From Walmart. From Wal- Come on. So, you know, he had a watch obsession. So, he had long admired the watches at the finest places in Dallas. And on one trip in December of 2006, he bought five Rolexes that totaled more than $52,000. Those are some cheap Rolexes. Well, it gets pricier, so. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They purchased a $784,000 vacation home in Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
They would invite their upper-class friends from Corsicana to visit using a chartered jet. They would treat them to fine wines and dinners. And Santa Fe wasn't their only vacation spot. They would go to Aspen, Napa, and Martha's Vineyard each time using a private plane. Before everything was said and done, they ended up having 232 private chartered flights that cost $3.2 million. Oh, my God. Yeah. So people were beginning to wonder, like, wow, these fools that got flashy. Where's this money coming from? Uh, I'm, I was fixing to ask. Yeah. Is anybody taking notice of this? Yes. So they tell people, oh, well, we inherited money, which is like, oh, okay. Well, y'all must have had some rich relatives. Sandy told one of his colleagues, who was the director of bakery of the bakery's public relations, I'm a car trader because they started like having a lot of cars. So he said, I'm a car trader. I get new cars, but I'm able to flip them. How I'm, do you flip a new car? I, I don't know. He didn't go into detail. This is just his explanation. He said, I'm probably paying less than you are and getting a new car every five to six months. And that's how better I, how much better I am than you. Yeah. <laughs> he also told people that a cousin was loaning him the cars, and that same generous cousin was the one who was loaning him the planes. Kay quit working not long after they got that first check. Oh, yeah. Well, why would you keep working? Right. And... <laughs> Through this whole story, it's kind of goes back and forth on how much she knew, how much she didn't know. My opinion, she knew. Oh, um, hell yes, she yeah. knew. So, regardless of what she knew, she was nervous enough about the money that when a two-seat Lexus convertible she ordered arrived in midnight blue, she returned it because it didn't match the peacock blue color of her previous car, and she didn't want to get unwanted attention. Oh, come on now. Sandy said that suddenly people were interested in him and what he had to say. Bob McNutt was shaking his head year after year, wondering why the bakery wasn't making more money. Uh, I'm with him. (laughs) We know why. Yeah. (laughs) He couldn't figure it out. Was the company expanding too quickly? In some years, they could actually blame the economy like everybody else, but other years, there wasn't really any excuse. Yeah. They began examining their expenses, their labor, the price of the ingredients, the inventory ingredients, but they could never figure out what was going on. Any audit requests they had came through Sandy, Mm -hmm. so he could manipulate the reports. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy would time his checks well. He knew when the bakery would stock up on ingredients and when it would be spending more on postage. And he would pad the expense areas that would normally be high so that when the bakery ran its marketing analysis, nothing seemed unusual. And of course, we're still going to throw out that he should not have been able to sign the checks using a computer system. I agree. I mean... You know, at some point, somebody's got to do some kind of quality control or back-checking or something. Right. Like, for instance, with the company I work out, work at, me and, an, and my coworker, we print checks. However, we do not sign them. Right. They go to another person to sign them. As the years rolled by, Sandy adjusted easily to the good life. 
He got pedicures and manicures and spent money trying in vain to straighten his hair so that it would be smooth and thick like Bill Clinton's. (laughs) Okay. He bought a $7,200 cell phone, and I was thinking, damn, what cell phone is $7,200? I think it's a Samsung. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's like a... This is 2005-ish. Yeah, I'm thinking it's a Samsung, like a gold, the gold edition Samsung. Oh, maybe so. He purchased a $40,000 horsehair mattress and a $58,000 piano. Sandy and Kay were making their way up the social ladder of Corsicana. They stopped going to church because the first Baptist parishioners still treated them like kitchen workers. So they was like, fuck y'all. We somebody now. Had he t- had they taken any of these people on these trips that they're going on? I, I don't know. I'm just like, you know, if you're taking some of these people that are still treating them like shit, it's like, are you still going to take them on these trips? When shopkeepers saw Sandy coming, they would wave him down and call him out by his name. I bet they did. They're like, ooh, we got something here for you to buy. Companies would invite him to exclusive parties. One company even paid for him to tour a watchmaking facility in Switzerland. Hmm. Okay. He eventually indulged in the hobby of the truly wealthy, which is philanthropy. What exactly is philanthropy? Like donations and charitable causes. Okay. He bought a table at the Navarro College fundraiser. He was a patron and board member of the Santa Fe Opera. He spent big money at the charity auctions and would sometimes even outspend Bob McNutt. Wow. Yeah. So here's where it starts crumbling for Sandy. On Thursday, June 20th of 2013, Symmetric, who was a new hire in accounting, stopped in Sandy's doorway. She'd been going over bank statements that morning and found a check made out to Capital One. The bakery did not have any accounts with Capital One. Wow. So Sandy tried to remain calm and he told her, I'll fix it. And when he was supposed to be fixing it, he actually left the office, but he put a note on her desk saying he was going to be out for the rest of the afternoon. So she was like, you know, he reacted kind of weird about that and you know he was automatically oh i'll fix it i mean how are you gonna fix it as a check to a company we don't deal with so since he left for the afternoon she's like i'm gonna start digging and she didn't want to go to scott at first you know who was their supervisor because him and sandy are friends so she just started kind of looking around in their finances and then she noticed the pattern so then when she noticed that she did bring it to scott's attention And he had to contact the other executives of the company. Then they had to call in Bob McNutt. And they're like, "Mm, it looks like we found Sandy embezzling money. And Bob's like, well, that explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day, nobody tipped him off. The next day, Sandy arrived at work. Scott said, can you come to one of the executives' offices? And so Scott showed him copies of voided checks. And Sandy pretended for a moment that he hadn't done anything wrong. And then he tried to claim that it was a computer glitch multiple times. 
to his personal accounts. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Scott asked Sandy, did you write these checks? And Sandy replied with, I write checks for the bakery. Well, I mean, he's not admitting to fraud. He's just right. saying it's my job right. to write these checks. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy was fired. Sandy had stolen from the bakery an amount totaling $114,342.04 in cash and $16,649,786 in checks. Over a span of how long? He started 2004. This is 2009 years. Nine years. Mm-hmm. 16 million plus in mm-hmm. nine years. Yep. Unbelievable. So when he left there, he raced home. He grabbed grocery bags from the kitchen and ran room to room, tossing handfuls of valuables inside, which was watches, jewelry, gold bars. Then he and Kay got in one of their cars and they drove to Austin to their daughter's house and stored the bags in her safe before they took off to Santa Fe to their vacation home to regroup. A month later, on July 24th, the FBI pulled up at their home in Corsicana. They brought a tow truck. They towed a 2010 Mercedes, a 2005 Lexus, a 2013 GMC Yukon Denali, and a 2013 BMW. They would take $2 million in furs, in wine, two big Louis Vuitton steamer trunks, 108 Rolexes, the most expensive one being $61,000. That sounds like a Rolex price. 53 rings, which one was a triple diamond that was worth $72,000, 40 necklaces, and 43 gold silver and platinum bracelets now see you said that he got fired mm-hmm. went to their corsicana house mm-hmm. grabbed a bag and started throwing stuff in it mm-hmm. what did he actually take because this stuff right here can be moved i say moved it can be liquidated quickly mm-hmm. what actually did he take we're going to get into that okay So, while they were raiding his home in Corsicana, Sandy returned to his daughter's house in Austin. And when he returned there, he noticed that he had an FBI team that was following him. So, he's like, God, what do criminals do when they hide their money? Because he still had the two grocery bags of stuff in his daughter's safe. And he's like, do I bury it? Do I put it in an offshore account? What do I do? So he grabbed the bags and put them into an insulated Whole Foods bag and then drove down to Lady Bird Lake, which was on the edge of downtown. He began burying watches and gold bars behind trees, bushes, and rocks. So he already had quite a bit of stuff on him. And the stuff that was in Corsicana was just shit that he didn't grab. Wow. When he ran out of hiding places, he just tossed the rest that was in the bag into the lake. I hope there was no watches. He picked up Kay, and they drove back to Corsicana. And when they got there, obviously the FBI had changed the locks on their house, so they broke in their own house and decided to lay low. 
they laid low in a house that is locked by the FBI. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Not long after this, an off-duty police officer from the University of Texas stumbled across a quarter of a million dollars in gold bars and jewelry that was hidden around Lady Bird Lake. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. The authorities quickly pieced it together, and the U.S. Attorney's Office didn't need to work very hard to convince a judge that Sandy Jenkins was going to be a flight risk. A scuba team searched the lake, and the FBI was able to match the serial numbers on the items to Sandy's records. And on August 12th, the FBI knocked on his door. He was eventually indicted on counts of mail fraud, money laundering, and other related offenses that he had perpetrated along the way. In the weeks that followed, Kay told people around town that she didn't know anything about this scheme. Bullshit. And that she was just surprised. Bullshit. There was an estate sale. People started lining up at the Jenkins house two hours before the doors even opened. Bob McNutt was there. He was unsure how he was going to get his $17 million back, but he wanted the people at the estate sale to spend big because obviously that was going to recoup some of his money. Is he fixing to pad the bids? I don't know. Oh, my God. And while he was there, he handed out Collins Street Bakery treats to those that were waiting in line. That's a good advertisement that point. Is. Marketing, yeah. And the line was so long that it wound around the block, so it had to have a security detail. Okay. At 10 o'clock, the organizers started letting people in a few at a time. Guests gawked at the assorted bracelets, rings, earrings, pendants, cufflinks, collector pins, and coins. There were Dunhill lighters, which I don't know what that is. I don't either. But they were worth 14000 A lighter? Uh-huh. A Cartier silver cigarette case, boxes of crystal and silver, designer handbags, wallets, luggage and briefcases by Louis Vuitton, Mark Jacobs, and Balenciaga. The estate sale resulted in the return of roughly $4 million in stolen funds. That's it? That's it. Damn. But listen to this. Kay filed for divorce around five weeks after Sandy was fired from the bakery. She accused Sandy of fraud against her during their 43-year marriage. Okay, how do you commit fraud in a marriage? I don't know. But it's like, bitch, come on now. You said that your penis was this size, and it is not. That is fraud. Well, then you should have taken care of that the first few months of marriage. <laughs> yeah. Sandy told authorities that Kay had played no part in his scheme, but he forgot that they could, you know, read his emails. Uh, he and, forgot that? Yeah, and there was one which he sent Kay that said, remember, you never knew anything. You got to remind somebody of the that they don't know anything? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. At sentencing, it was shown that the Jenkinses had purchased 38 vehicles over the course of their scheme, including many Lexuses, a Mercedes-Benz, a Bentley, and a Porsche. They purchased a new automobile every time they needed an oil change. They spent over $11 million on a black American Express card alone, with the monthly payment being roughly $98,000 a month. Damn. Approximately $1.2 million was spent at Neiman Marcus, 
in Dallas. They eventually stopped shopping at Neiman Marcus because Neiman Marcus ran out of things to sell them. Like they bought all of their stock? Yeah. Whatever. Basically. Sandy was sentenced to 120 months in federal prison. That's it? Mm-hmm. Ten years? Mm-hmm. He died behind bars in 2019. i seen multiple sources said it was a suicide. What year was he convicted and sentenced? I think it ended up being 2015 because it kind of drug on a little bit. But I'm thinking 2014, 2015-ish when he finally got convicted. He was literally a couple of years or a few years from being released and Mm -hmm. he commits suicide? Mm -hmm. Uh, Something's fishy there to me anyway. Kay was sentenced to five years probation ordered to complete 100 hours of community service and to write an apology to the bakery. Bitch, don't nobody want your damn apology letter. Okay. So, the Collins Street Bakery did become stabilized after the embezzlement. Over the years, they implemented tighter financial measures to ensure reporting transparency and honesty. They do hold regular internal audits And these are conducted to ensure that records are accurate. They have started experimenting with a different initiatives in e-commerce and wholesale. They are also partnered with Amazon Prime, and they have hired innovative team members. So the bakery's recovering. I mean, it's a shame that they went through this. So this was nine or ten years worth of embezzling. Yes. And in that time frame this man was able to uh, embezzle over $16 million from this company, and it was not, it it had not folded. Right. And and it had not folded, which tells me that this company makes a shit ton of money. Yeah. More than obviously two million dollars a year. Right. Because when I saw that revenue, that was what he got out of that company. I was like, damn. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it was able to still function. I mean, pay its bills, get product, turn it around, pay their payroll and all this stuff. And and he is still able to get this amount of money. Exactly. Collins Street Bakery is. They're doing good. They're doing. Yeah. They are doing phenomenal probably even better now obviously than they were in those 10 years oh i'm sure so good for them good for them and now this because we always see the sign when we head toward dallas and we've never stopped so now that knowing this is kind of like i want to stop because i do have stuff besides fruit cakes well i hope so um so yeah the next time we're headed that way i think we do need to stop and it's right there it's right there so I I agree with you. Yeah. I think we need to stop. I mean, if this place is that popular and mm-hmm. is, you know, then obviously they're doing something right with their product. Right. So I'm definitely down for stopping. Right. And you know how much I like I like bakeries. <laughs> I, I I like sweets. I like the bread. Yeah. <laughs> but uh wow. That's Isn't a this lot crazy? Of, that is a lot of money and it's something that you and I have seen like you said, you know, on the side of the highway on our way to Dallas. Yeah. And we go to Dallas uh, or go through Dallas several times a year. Yeah. Um, and we see this. We mm-hmm. see this place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
do we want to stop there? Do we want to see what it is? And we never have. No. Now we will. Now we will. Yeah, for sure. And that is the end of that story. Wow. That is insane. Folks, don't get the sticky fingers because you will get caught. Well, that was um, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And in your line of work as well. Yeah. Uh, so glad to see that we could, that you could find a story that uh, you could definitely relate to. Yeah, this one just fell in my lap and I was like, oh, this is good. Yeah. On on a couple of different levels, there is something that, you know, we've experienced. Yeah. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And he is, he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Why, though? I mean, why? I, that's what I don't understand. I mean, he was literally year, just a few years from getting out. Yeah, because he got 10 years, and I saw where the minimum he was going to have to do was at least eight. So, I mean, he was even closer to being done so i'm assuming since you gave us that list of things that he hid they found everything oh yeah yeah oh yeah well mm. and which that might have been why it took so long to bring it to trial too because i mean that that's a lot of shit they had to go through to make sure they had yeah Yeah. i guess but only four million dollars was recovered through the estate sale yeah that was all the bakery got that is which i mean obviously it doesn't make up for what they lost but luckily they got something back because you know some companies don't get shit back that's true you're right well thank you for sharing that that was a that was a really good story well thank you i like that so we have others that are coming up uh again like i said we've we've uploaded a another bonus episode on the patreon page so if you're not a subscriber go by there and subscribe and get access to those bonus episodes. Uh, we have tiers from $1.50 a month to up to $10. It just depends on how much you want to donate to the podcast. So, what is the next case? I have a really good one that I've been working on. I think it's going to really kind of blow your mind. I got a, um, a good one that I'm fixing to work on. It's back in Texas, but it's from the 80s. So okay. All right. It's going to be good. So we have those coming up. We have other bonus episodes that we've been working on that is coming up. Mm-hmm. So until those next episodes, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye. Bye.